Hi, I'm John Leonard. And I'm Dan Leonard. And we're very excited to start this podcast and delve into topics that interest us and hopefully spark your interest as well. This is our first attempt at hosting a podcast, and we're still very green at it. So bear with us as we muddle our way through and attempt to get better. Without further ado, let's start the show. Greetings, and welcome to the Black Flame Podcast, where history and legends collide, where cryptids, the supernatural, and the paranormal run free. We are your hosts, Dan and John Leonard, and we are here to bring you stories of haunted places, creepy cryptids, and harrowing legends. So sit back and let us guide you through the world of the unexplained. Tonight we'll be covering the Witches of Plain Dealing and the Legend of Maul Dyer. So stick around and learn more about these Witches of Maryland. Maryland's eastern shore is a renowned tourist destination known for its scenic waterways, quaint historic towns, and authentic Chesapeake Bay cuisine. It's known by many as the perfect example of quiet, small-town America. What many don't know is that this serene rural landscape served as the backdrop for some of Maryland's most chilling and mysterious events. Back in the 1600s, a 200-acre plot of land known as Plain Dealing was surveyed for a man named Joseph Winslow in an area known today as Royal Oak in Talbot County. This plot sat on the western side of a large creek with which it shares its name. It is said that the namesake of the plot and the adjoining creek come from the Native Americans who inhabited the area and used it to conduct business with white or plain people who carved out their stake in the land. The communities surrounding Plain Dealing were mostly Quakers who lived peacefully alongside the chopped tank Algonquins, but don't let the quiet settlement fool you. Plain Dealing would soon come to be known for some rather dark characters. Jumping forward about a hundred years to 1712, Talbot County is a prosperous area with thriving boat communities, seafood businesses, and large working farms. The general lifestyle is rooted in hard work and accentuated with a devotion to God. Although most citizens in the area are godly folks, some believe that a few may have been in league with the devil himself. From the time of its inception to modern days, Maryland has played host to only five formal witch trials. The last witch trial recorded in court documents being that of a woman named Virtue Viol of Plain Dealing. The trial was held in Annapolis and began on August 12, 1712. The court documents claim that Virtue was, and I quote, Seduced by the devil most wickedly and diabolically did use practice and exercise witchcraft whereby and wherewith she did waste, consume, and pine the body of a certain Eleanor Moore. They go on, her most wicked and diabolical use, practice, and exercise of witchcraft, the tongue of the said Eleanor Moore, rendering her mouth speechless and lame. In modern terms, the witnesses claim that virtue bewitched Eleanor, making her waste away and lose her ability to speak. 
She was indicted and held in prison until the jury was able to reach a verdict on October 7th of the same year. They determined she was not guilty and was set free on the condition that she pay her court fees. The 12 jurors were paid 3,000 pounds of tobacco for their service. This is the last time we see Virtue's name in any public record, so we must assume that she went back to plain dealing to live out the rest of her life. Even though this is the last formal witch trial recorded in Maryland documents, that doesn't mean that it's the last time someone was accused of witchcraft. Plain Dealing still has one more witchy tie left to be revealed. Sometime after Virtue's trial, a man named Squire Robert Ungle built a large mansion in the style of an English manor with sprawling grounds and a family cemetery on Plain Dealing. The story goes that through some accident, or as the rumors would have you believe, a cold-blooded murder, Robert fell over the hand-carved balusters from the second floor and broke his neck, leaving an eternal blood stain on the surface below that no one has ever been able to remove. After his death, the neglected mansion fell into disrepair. It states in Land of Legendary Lore by Prentice Ingram that, and I quote, "...its handsome paneling and carving begun to decay, its walls to become moss-grown, its spreading roof to show its age." The old furniture became covered with dust. The old portraits of well-born men and women in powdered wigs and queue were stained and moldy. The family burying ground just across the lawn upon the banks of the creek grew up dense and dank with weeds and trees, while the vaults cracked open and revealed their ghostly occupants to the inquisitive one who ventured near. On property adjoining the dilapidated Ungle estate, a wealthy tobacco farmer named Samuel Chamberlain built his home in 1753. On the edge of his property near the old Ungle burying ground sat an abandoned shack from the time of the Ungle mansion's heyday. It is said that in his old age, Samuel allowed a woman named Katie Colburn to take up residence. Katie, or Witch Katie, as she came to be known, was often referred to as the last of her kind in Talbot County, supposedly the only person left still practicing witchcraft in the area. She was described as being a, and I quote, poor old creature, lonely, deformed, repulsively ugly, and wretchedly poor. She would reportedly terrorize the local children and African-American residents. The latter would do their best to avoid her and even went as far as wearing charms made of, and again, I quote, the left hind foot of a rabbit killed at the dark of the moon to avoid being hoodooed by her black magic. One day, the locals around the estate noticed that they hadn't seen Katie around in some time. As it turns out, they never would again. I don't imagine much searching was done for a supposed missing witch, but they never found her body in the old shack or the surrounding area. The story, however, doesn't end there. Shortly after Witch Katie went missing, a young boy helping his father tend to his farm went to gather the cows who were grazing near the old burying ground. When he reached the cemetery, he was startled to see a man dressed in a stately antique manner with a white beard, a high-crowned hat, and ruffled clothing. The man tried to speak to the boy, but he turned and ran home to tell his father, who didn't believe his story. The boy would go back every day, seeing the same man and becoming less and less afraid of him, until finally he spoke to the man. In response, the man walked to a particular spot in the burying ground and pointed down, stomping his foot at the same time. The two replayed this same interaction for a few days in a row, and the boy was eventually led by the man into the old mansion, where he pointed up at one of the portraits on the wall. The boy saw some resemblance of the portrait in the man's face. Shortly after that encounter, the boy and his family were making a visit to an estate called Bonfield in the nearby town of Oxford. Hanging on the walls inside Bonfield were old portraits, one of which the boy excitedly pointed to, claiming that that's the man he's been seeing in the cemetery. 
The subject of the portrait, of course, was that of Squire Robert Ungles. After this experience, he was finally able to convince his parents to come and see the man for themselves. They did so on multiple occasions, and every time the boy would exclaim, There he is! There's the man! But neither of his parents could see him. Thinking there might be something to his claims, or just to calm the boy down, his father took a shovel to the spot where Robert was supposedly pointing and started digging. The following day, the neighbors came out to check the stories of the boy's ghostly encounter and found a freshly dug hole in the ground with a rectangular void at the bottom of it, almost as if a chest was lifted out of the cavity. The family, previously very poor, suddenly purchased a large tract of land known as Londonderry shortly after the excavation, which raised all the neighbors' eyebrows and suspicions that the ghost of Robert Ungle had led them to a stash of his long-forgotten treasure, but they would never admit to it. Following this unexpected large purchase, stumps were being removed in the plain dealing grounds, and beneath one of the larger trees, they found a large boulder that, and I quote, proved to be in two pieces, accurately fitted together, between which lay a stained manuscript, the only words decipherable being money and a partially obliterated date. The story of the manuscript got out, and a mob formed to make a raid on the property to dig up more buried treasure, but left very quickly, claiming that the ghost had scared them away. Interest in finding long-lost riches in the area died down, but the whispers of ghosts and witches carried on through the centuries. Some claim that the ghost of Robert Ungles was waiting for Witch Katie to leave before revealing his buried treasure. Others believe that Katie summoned him for dark purposes before being spirited away. But the fact that Virtue Viall and Katie Colburn, both suspected witches, lived on the same tract of land and water almost a century apart might point to something deeper and darker than we could ever imagine. But one thing is perfectly clear. The history surrounding plain dealing is anything but ordinary. So that is the story of the witches of plain dealing, along with a little ghost story tied in there. I've heard about this story very briefly, and it was just, I heard about it. I didn't read into it or anything like that, but I've heard about it, and that's it. Other than that, no one seems to know about it. It seems like. Yeah, I, I think it's it's not that well known. It doesn't get talked about a whole lot around here. And I, I think it's a pretty significant fact, just that there aren't that many, you don't hear about that many people being accused of witches in Maryland. And we have two right there. Yeah, two that, that 10 minutes from our house. Right. And I don't think that, I, I really don't know why, actually. Because you'd think it'd be a more popular story. And back in the day, it was. Because a lot of my sources that I went back to were these old magazine articles and clippings from books back in the, uh, from the 1800s. So it was obviously a legend back then. And that was, I'm speaking about Katie Colburn there um, and the whole ghost story. That was another thing I wanted to touch on too. So the ghost story tied in with... Uh, Katie Colbert, or that starts kind of right after she goes missing. There's a couple of different interpretations of that, or a couple of different versions, I should say, of that story out there. And the one that I had researched here was pulled together from multiple sources from back in the you know 1800s that were reporting on this. But if you go look at uh, Mindy Burgoyne's book, I am blanking on the name and I apologize for that. I think it's Chesapeake Ghosts, I want to say. Um, so Mindy Burgoyne, uh, the local author, she had it written down in a different way where 
the Valiant brothers were involved with the, the treasure and the ghost. And so her claimed version of it is that the treasure was buried in the ground and a ghost told one of the Valiant brothers to go look for the treasure. And so him and his brother both dug down and found the treasure. But upon finding it, the one brother who got the message from the ghost to dig down killed the other one. And after killing him, felt so bad that he put his brother's body down in the ground, put the treasure back on top and buried it in. And later a ghost was telling uh, the boy. Yeah, the boy to go dig. And but when they dug down, they only found rocks. Right. And so I couldn't find any mention of the Valiant Brothers in the tellings that I was reading from the 1800s. So I just went with that. I'm not saying her version is inaccurate. I'd, I'd like to know what her sources were, but that was what I was able to glean from the information I could find. And I think it's interesting, but it's it's so old. And I think it's been one of those stories that's kind of been told and told and told. Because, I mean, we're talking all this happening in the 1700s. I mean, that's like any story told from back in the day, you know. It's like, it's like playing that game Telephone. Yep. By the time you get to the end person after even just 10 people you yeah. go through, the story's different. Now imagine going through from the 1700s to 2021. And it supposedly, so the rock that they pulled up out of the ground, that big boulder that was in two pieces with the manuscript in between, that was supposedly, it says in the story, put out by the road. I don't know what road that is, and I, I would love to find it if it's still there because there's only so many roads back here yeah and so i think it'd be interesting to see if we could find that and have to take a drive yeah i just thought it was interesting all that history right there between virtue vial and uh katie colburn both being accused as witches and again virtue was the last one to be taken to trial in for in maryland right for being a witch <clears throat> so I just think it's crazy that not many people know about this story, obviously. Not many Marylanders, I should say, know about this story. Because, you know, how stories go when you're kids and kids talk about stories that happened a long time ago that their parents told them. But our parents never told any of this. Pop-Pop never told us any of this. You know, our our family never told us anything about this. And I wonder if it's one of those things that just gets lost in history uh, because of the darkness of it, or it's just something that just gets slips through the cracks. But I'm interested to know why no one else knows about it. Cause that's a, that's, you know, talk worthy, I think. Oh, I think so too. I mean, I, it's, it's a fun story for one thing, regardless of whether or not it's true. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of it was fact based from what I could find. I mean, some kind like there was actually a receipt for that land that was bought. Yeah. So that that actually happened. There was a family there that somehow came into some money that and bought land. So there's there is some kernel of truth in this story, no matter how it how much it might be stretched. But one thing I think is pretty clear that they don't really know if Katie Colburn was a witch. There's I saw uh, some people alluding to it as more like a, a scary story to keep kids from going out in the woods and coming home before dark that kind of thing but the fact that the native or that the african americans would actually make charms and stuff to try to you know to ward off the spirits i guess yeah which is you know i find that really interesting <clears throat> but just the 
it's such an innocuous piece of land now. There's nothing, I mean, it's mostly woods and, you know, a couple of open fields and stuff like that, but it's not, it's nothing, it doesn't seem particularly spooky or weird. So when you're just driving through there, you'd never know it. Maybe uh, it'll have a different lens on it, you know, going through there now. Oh, especially because we're from here too. You know, we've been driving down those roads for years. So everything looks different when you're from here, when you grow up here. Everything looks kind of different. Don't look as spooky as what some people might see it as, you know. Yeah, but it's just, I don't know. I when you If someone were to drive by, you'd never know. No. That anything like that. And I guess it's like that with most places until you know the history behind it, because that can kind of plant the seed in your head that, ooh, right. something crazy. Now, some places here. do look like legit scary. You right. Know, some places had that feel, but I, it's, it's just not one of them. No. Just that I, I just think it's so weird that the two, two witches, two supposed witches, I should say, you know, within the same tract of land, not only in the same county, but... It's not a, I mean, it's Royal Oak. It's not that big. No. You know, especially the area they're talking about playing deal and it's just a 200 acre plot. Right. And it's, it's only so big, but two witches a hundred years apart from each other right there in our backyard. <laughs> yeah. And a ghost story tied to it. I think that was interesting too, how I don't really quite know how to fit it together. But that's what it says is, is pretty much as soon as Katie Colburn goes missing, this ghost man or the ghost of Robert Ungles comes on the scene. So it's peculiar. And that's how it was in pretty much every version I could find that mentioned Katie. And then they, they almost never go. Uh, if, if one gets brought up, the other one is tied to it. Right. And mm. it's really strange because they don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. But the timeline is peculiar how it as soon as she's gone here comes this ghost yeah you know that only the boy can see yeah makes you think that maybe she was a witch and for some reason that ghost was scared to come around the witch i guess and as soon as the so-called witch goes away the ghost can come freely now without worrying or something you know i don't know right but that's just the way it seems that's in what from the way that i kind of interpret it was that uh, Robert Ungles actually, you know, he was helping this poor family, basically. Right. They were poor farmers. Yeah. And it kind of seems like he knew that Katie was this mean person, at least. We have, we know that much. She, you know, seemed like a mean person, according to all reports. And so maybe he was just waiting around till she would get out. And then once she finally did, he thought, okay, I'm going to help these family out now. Now there's another uh, version of the story as well that claims that the family the chamberlains were uh descendants of the ungles and that the family on the farm were actually chamberlains hmm. and so there's a lot of uh speculation that could be made there there are so many different versions of it that one would almost kind of make sense because if if the family were descendants of squire ungles then obviously he'd be like oh hey look my great 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 grandkids here's some money for you right you know but other than that it's it's just it's weird it's bizarre and i just thought it was a really fun story to kind of throw together and research especially for us specifically because it's right here yeah yeah that's the thing that surprises me the most is how i can't get over the fact that i've i haven't i haven't heard of this outside of 
anyone local talking to. You know, I've talked just family members and other local friends. No one, I've never heard anyone talk about this story. I've, I think I've heard about it years ago through maybe a book or something like Haunted Maryland, I think is what it was or something. It, it hinted towards that, but I never really looked into the story and it never gets told. And I wonder why it never gets told. I don't know. So hopefully we can broadcast this and make it more well-known. Yeah. Because I think it's something that kind of gives a little more flavor to the area in a different direction than it kind of has, you know? Yeah, because now it's growing into this more touristy town, light, you know, playful town, quiet, doesn't have that kind of spooky feeling to it. And I don't think they want that spooky feeling to it, but that's history. You know, you can't get around the history of this area. Right. And I mean, there's plenty of, you know, that we live just outside the town of St. Michael's and there is plenty of old historic places in there that are supposedly haunted. Cannonball house. Yeah. Cannonball house. Cannonball house. There's, there's a lot of them. And that it still really doesn't get talked about that much. You know, there are ghost tours you can go on. I think actually led by Mindy Burgoyne or her company. But other than that, it it's not, nobody really talks about it. No. And I, I wonder why, if it just, like I say, it slips through the cracks or I don't know. We're doing all we can right now. This is hopefully going to help spread some kind of word about it. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's just an interesting story that everyone should hear. You know, especially when the lives here should know it, because I know a lot of people don't know this story. A no. lot of locals don't know it. No. And it, it might pique someone's interest who isn't even from around here. You yeah. know, it's just one of those weird to to the outsider. It's just this small town in Maryland that kind of has a weird story that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah. So a witch trial story even of if, all things. Right. And even if that's all that it is, so be it. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I just, I wish this story were more told through the years of when we were growing up. I think that would be cool to know because we have a lot of historical places down here. You know, um, Frederick Douglass, where he was kept to have that, I think, around Cambridge. And then Mount Misery. That There's a lot of historical buildings around here. And the Maritime Museum, like you say, there's a lot, there's a couple of haunted tours. There's a lot of historic things. But why, you know, this part of history doesn't get brought up and I just, it piques my interest of why not. Well, and it also makes me wonder because the area now today is nothing but private land. And yeah. so there's, there's no real, you know, kind of meeting place. There's no location and it doesn't even get specific in these stories. It's just plain dealing, which is not a humongous tract of land, but it's enough that we don't have any centralized point of where this, in these the people lived or any of this occurred. It's, the same creek and the same tract of land. Its face has changed for sure, but the legend just seems to persist through time. And I, I, I want to give it a, a boost. Yeah, share a little light on it. Yeah, let's get this thing out there. I want to want people to know about it. I mean, they should, especially locals. You know, it's part of history. So I feel like, you know, you should know where you live. Yeah, you know, <laughs> definitely. I just think it's interesting digging into the history of anywhere, but... You know, when you can stand in a spot and know what happened there hundreds of years ago, it just makes it that much more interesting. And especially when there's something spooky like a ghost story tied to it, because apparently that mansion isn't standing anymore. That's so what no, I was going to ask. I think they, they kind of have a rough idea of, um, or supposedly another house was built on top of it, 
but I have I could not find anywhere which one that was. I, I want to go driving around back there and just take a look and see what we can find. But apparently it's it's all private land now. Yeah, so there's no real place me. to get off and walk around and explore or anything. But yeah. just the tail by itself is intriguing enough to me. Oh, yeah, for sure. This has been the curious tale of the witches of Plain Dalen. Stick around for the legend of Maul Dyer. What is now a small town known for its seafood industry, quaint restaurants, and historical buildings, also is a town that has a dark history behind it. This is the story of the Witch of Leonardtown. Just an hour and a half southwest of Washington, D.C., lies a small town on the Pocomoke River known as Leonardtown. Located in St. Mary's County, it was first colonized in the 17th century, before settlers arrived, this location was a wooded area that was populated by the Piscataway Native American tribe. But when the English settled here, they also brought with them some of their superstitions, one of them being witchcraft. In the 1600s, before Leonardtown got its name, it was home to a small population of English settlers. One of these settlers was a woman who lived on the outside of town in a small hut. Her name was Maul Dyer. Her past is still a mystery to this day. No one truly knows the origins of her. Maul lived in isolation. She also had a shadowy past and was known as an herbal healer. Because of this, she was looked at by the townspeople as an outcast. In his book, Old Maryland's Landmarks, Robert Pogue states that she would forge for herbs and things to use in her charms or spells. But all the mysterious behavior she was doing had some of the townsfolk thinking she could be a witch. The year 1697 was an abnormally cold year, cooler than the years past, and because of the severe temperatures, the harvest of crops was very poor. But it was common back then to blame the bad weather on supernatural forces. In this case, there were talks that the witch, Maul Dyer, had cursed the town with a severely cold winter and a bad crop turnout. Soon the talks of her being a witch turned into angry accusations, and the townsfolk wanted to get rid of Maldire forever. Unlike the Salem witch trials of 1692, when the so-called witches had a chance to plead their case, Maldire wouldn't get this opportunity. With torches, the townsfolk burned her cabin and reportedly yelled, quote, Burn the witch! But she escaped the burning building and fled into the nearby woods. Thinking she had died in the house, the townsfolk carried on with life. But a few days later, Maul Dyer's body was discovered in the woods. She was frozen to death in the harsh winter temperatures. But she was frozen in an unusual position. She was found kneeling on a rock with one hand reaching toward the sky, while the other hand was frozen to the rock, leaving an indent on the rock where her knee and her hand laid. The townsfolk swore that she had cursed them in death and would haunt them forever. The rock now sits in front of St. Mary's County Historical Society, Tudor Hall. Today you can go and see the rock for yourselves. Some who have visited the rock say that you will get a sick feeling in your stomach. Others claim that photos taken of the rock won't develop or the camera will malfunction. 
Could these mysterious happenings surrounding the rock be from the dark past associated with it? Or is it the curse that Maul Dyer had put on the rock that cold winter in 1697? But the story doesn't end here. There's a spooky wooded area near the town close to Maul Dyer Road. This is the area that locals believed was where she had her cabin. One report tells a story of a woman and her friends went into the woods to explore on a nice sunny day. When they got into the woods, a huge thunderstorm erupted out of nowhere. As soon as the group ran out of the woods, the storm was gone and the sun was shining again. They believed it was Maldire's ghost running them off. Another report comes from a few local hunters who claim that they have seen the apparition of Maldire's ghost herself in the woods. The legend of Maldire is so popular that they named a road after her. Surrounding this road is supposedly haunted woods where it was believed that she had her home. The locals here travel this road with caution, and rightfully so. There have been a number of unexplained accidents on this road, and unfortunately, some of these accidents were fatal. One report from Maldire's Run, which is a kayaking stream that runs from Brenton Bay and ends parallel to Maldire Road. The report said that in 1970, a hunter saw a very dense cylindrical-shaped fog patch with a light emerging from it cross the stream, move across the wind, not with the wind, across the wind, and went south, and it did the same motion two times. Another freaky statement is that an unusual number of lightning strikes has been reported near Maldire Road, more than in the surrounding area. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know you've been to St. Mary's before. Oh yeah, I spent a lot of time down there. It's uh, not quite, you know, in St. Mary's. I've been in St. Mary's County. I've never actually driven into Leonardtown, though. I've driven around it. We need to make a trip out there. Yeah, it's about three hours for us. Yeah, I want to go see The Rock. I do too. I've talked about it a lot. And I always joke, you know, whenever I'd be driving down there and see the sign and be like, that's my town right there. You see that? I would too, yeah. (laughs) You know, but it's another interesting story that I feel like, you know, actually the first place I heard that story was on the Weather Channel. Really? Yeah, they had this segment. It must have been during October. And they had a section running kind of in between weather forecasts about different, you know, spooky tales across America. And one of them was the Maul Dire Witch. And I just remember sitting there listening to it. And then they said Leonardtown, Maryland. I was like, what the heck? And so it's another just kind of in-state legend for us, at least, you know, it's across the bay. I mean, it's such an attractive story, especially because we still have that rock that they believe was the one that she was kneeling on. They, I think they said it weighs like over 300 pounds or something. And they Reports originally come over over 800 pounds, 800. So I read that wrong. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because they, they moved it from uh, out from in the woods to originally in front of the jailhouse. Right. So this isn't, they don't know for sure if this is the actual rock. They're not sure yet. They're actually still trying to find out if they can find the original rock right now. Um, but they pulled this one out in 1970 thinking that it was the rock and it could be, but they doubt it is. And that you're right. They put it in front of the old jail, the old historical jail in St. Mary's County. And they just recently moved it now in front of the historical society now. Right. That was just a couple of weeks ago at this point yeah. in March. Yeah. The first place I heard about this story was on travel channel. Huh? It was, um, it was mysteries of the museum. 
Was it really? Yes, it was. That's a great show. Yeah. And I, I heard this story on there. You said Leonardtown, Maryland. And I was like, Maryland. That's cool. <laughs> Made it on TV. <laughs> yeah. But, and the more I got into the story, the more, just the more interesting it got. Because she never got, this was, what, five years after the Salem Witch Trials? Right. So, it makes me think, and I want to talk to a historian about it if I can. Do they think that the people, the townsfolk of Leonardtown caught wind of the Salem witch trials five years afterwards? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Cause I think that was nationwide news at that point, even though, yeah. n- you know, news was crawling back then compared to how quickly it's spread now. Right. I, I would imagine that it would definitely, they would definitely know about it. Yeah. And it makes me think that she didn't get a trial. She, there was no trial done at all. None. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to get rid of her that night. So they burned her house down thinking that she was in there. And what makes me think is they don't want a trial because look how the Salem witch trials turned out. That turned into a bloodbath. Right. That a lot of people that weren't firstly accused all of a sudden got accused. And, you know, it, like I say, it turned into a bloodbath. And I think people didn't want that on their hands and they thought something spooky was going on because she was looked at as an outsider in the first place. She was, like I said, an herbal healer. She would forge for uh, all kinds of mushrooms and all kinds of weird herbs she could find to make her, she would report them as spells or charms is what she would put. But like she was a healer. Right. And she was abnormally tall for a woman back then too, which made people a little more leery of her anyway. But because of that shady past, they don't, they don't know where she came from originally. Not much is known about Maul Dyer's. Maul probably isn't even her name. It was probably a nickname for Marion. I looked it up. Right. So there's no really historical evidence of Maul Dyer at all. But there are some names Marion Dyer. So that's who they think was Maul Dyer. But as far as where she's from, people speculate she's from Ireland. She's from England. She's from France. They don't know. They don't know where she's originally from. All they know is that she's a settler and she's an herbal healer and outcast in the town. And, of course, back then, like I stated, when they didn't get a good crop turnout or things went kind of wonky in the town, they always blamed it on supernatural forces, you know. Right. Spirits and, at play. And the obviously the easy target is the outcast. Right. And that's usually most of the time in when it comes to... Now, there are some exceptions in Salem, but the majority of witch accusations are usually against people that they call or women specifically they call them spinsters they're unmarried women they're usually they're typically a bit older which makes them an outcast of the community if you if you weren't married and you were a woman and you were of age you were considered to be you know an outcast right it it was almost shameful to not be married by the time you were of age and so it just made them an easy target i think you know and especially someone like her who was a healer, probably, you know, more along the lines of what we would consider Wicca today, the the Wiccans, who use herbal remedies and, you know, things from nature basically to try to heal. Right. Even though the intentions aren't bad, it doesn't totally fall in line with the general zeitgeist of the Especially time back of, in 1697. Right. You know, when, yeah, and that's, that's what I mean. I think it's way more accepted now than it was back then. Obviously we don't have witch trials <laughs> for witches nowadays. Right. And it's, 
easy because back then, if you were a godly person, it was it was a very specific thing to be, and you wouldn't go out and use all these herbal remedies and stuff like that. You you wouldn't go off and live by yourself, and you know right. they back then religion was a and still is i think to this day as a source for community and being together and all this so if someone is not part of that community necessarily then it just makes them an easy target they're just walking around with a red x on their back oh no doubt waiting to take the blame for something that goes wrong right and the other freaky thing was it was a, it was a boy that found her in the woods a couple of days after he was searching for lost cattle and found her but she was reportedly frozen, kneeling with a hand up in the air, which yeah, is strange. That is weird. Isn't now, that weird? Now, I mean, it's it's weird to, to find someone fresh. Like you were saying, it must have been a very cold winter for someone to be frozen in a position like that. I mean, how long does it take to freeze sitting up like that? Right. I mean, that's that's a kind of a, a creepy part of the legend. And I think that can be interpreted in two ways. Either she had her one hand up praying to god yes right or as the legend and the creepier side of things would have you believe she was putting that curse on the land which the the whole you know a high amount of lightning strikes in that area that is interesting yeah more than in the surrounding area that's so weird which is strange and the reportedly years after maul had died the the crops still wouldn't grow like they did before Huh. They still wouldn't grow as well after she died. So that's left the townspeople thinking that she did leave a curse, you know. Right. And they were scared that they were going to haunt her in death, too. And now there are reports of ghost stories around now surrounding it. Like the, the coolest one that I came over was the cylindrical fog shape that had a light. Um, the exact report was a light emerging about eight inches below the top of it. And it moved across the wind so not with it but across the wind on the south moved to the south or sorry moved across the wind across the creek down south and it came back and did that motion twice so not just once but twice and made that movement that would be enough to make you either want to nowadays pull your phone out and take pictures or just flat out turn and run yeah i mean that's weird Especially for it to do it twice, not yeah. just once. You could see once being like, that was a freaky thing. Maybe it was a weird <laughs> gust of wind that came through. But to have it go back twice and a light emerging from it. Yeah, that's odd. That's the strange thing. And it floated over the water. So it's not like it's someone in the woods because it floated over the water. Right. That was the coolest report that I could find. That was back in 1970. That's pretty crazy. So that's fairly recent compared to the time of Maul Dyer anyway. Right. And there were reports that it wasn't known for a fact. Like I say, there's not much known specific, like there's not much history surrounding her herself. Um, there were reports that she had a little white dog. And some people on the road with a lot of the road accidents say that they swerved to miss a dog or the, they saw a dog that caused them to have the accident Whoa. and then the dog wasn't there. So there have been a lot of, a lot, like I say, the locals drive carefully on that road, apparently. Because there have been a lot of car crashes on that road, and some of them, unfortunately, are fatal. That's crazy. And some of them surround people saying they a dog caused it. They were swerving to miss a dog or something, you know? But there's no, they, we don't know for sure if she had a dog or not. There's so much loose ends on who she was because she was such an outcast. Right. That she just wasn't... It's almost like she wasn't part of society. 
Yeah, I imagine. I mean, obviously, she she didn't have any kids that we know of. That we know of, because that would be interesting to find out as well if there are any descendants. But there are descendants of Dyers. I did find one source. They um, said that they had like a a Marion Dyer years back, and that could be the Mar- the Mall Dyer because Mall is wasn't her name. Obviously, it was most likely a nickname for Marion. Right. I just I find I find this story really crazy because she didn't get a trial. How quickly all these whispers about her being a witch just turned so fast into anger and just they wanted her gone that night. So they burned her house down and she got out. That's frontier justice, you know, mob mentality. Yeah. Take it in your own hands. I think that was definitely way more popular back then. But yeah, no, that's disturbing. I mean, to think that you could work people up into a frenzy like that over some bad weather and some, you know, dead crops that you would go and try to burn someone's house Someone down. kill them. Because they thought that she died in the fire. They didn't know that she escaped into the woods. Right. Wow. Yeah. That is something. Yeah. Intense. It's a shame, too. It is. From a, you know, humanitarian aspect. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it, it like the story you were covering, there were trials done. And if I'm not mistaken, one of them was let free. Yeah, so the uh there and just going over generally the history of witch trials in Maryland, only one person was ever actually uh convicted and executed as a witch. Right. There was another man who was convicted of witchcraft and actually was on the gallows with the noose around his neck. Oh jeez. And then the governor pardoned him at the last minute. So Ooh. yeah. So <laughs> just in the nick of time. Sweet why. Yeah. But <laughs> definitely uh Gave him a scare. <laughs> Can you imagine what that guy had to say when he got off that gallows? <laughs> it must have been like your last day of work when you're tired. <laughs> Just giving the fingers to everyone. Yeah. Screw you guys. I'm leaving here. <laughs> Crazy heathens. Screw you. Screw you. I'm getting out of this town. <laughs> Crazy I'm gonna bunch of <laughs> curse you. I mean, I mean, no, 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 no. no, no. no, no. <laughs> he probably waited because you know if he spoke up, he probably would be like, "All right, get back up there." Yeah, he was probably just like, just like walked away. I can just got see him home, just, just packing his stuff up, <laughs> really mad, like tossing stuff in his bag, punching clothes in there, like I'm leaving this crazy freaking town. Such bitches trying to kill me. <laughs> I can see him just walking away from the gal, just like mumbling, like, God damn. yeah freaking people with them like hey he's putting a curse on us <laughs> but no it it's an i've now i've heard of this story and this is a well-known one because you look up the, everyone knows about the mall dire rock and the story behind it everyone knows about it it's on everyone's blog about saint mary's saint mary's does the opposite of what saint michael's did with ours right and royal oak they let it be known i mean they had the rock in front of the the jail cell, and now in front of the historical society, they let it be known. Yeah. Like, that's how it should be, you know? That's a cool legend to attract people to St. Mary's, for one thing. And I I think that also, the difference between the two stories that we're going over tonight is that in the Maul Dyer legend, you have someone who, I mean, it's such a, a... you have a really climactic story. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, you have this witch, or supposed witch who's kind of an outcast and then all of a sudden all these bad things start happening and the town gets worked up into a frenzy and goes burns down her house and essentially causes her death yeah and in talbot county's case or plain dealing when 
both of those two witches that were supposedly in that area, there's no real arc to the story. Yeah, one goes missing and one goes to jail and gets let go. Right. You know, I think the the one that went to jail and got let go is kind of less interesting. Uh, it's yeah. more you find more uh, historical references to that because we have court records and stuff yeah, like that, went, which was yeah. interesting to read through. Um, and just the fact that she's from the area that Katie Colburn is also from makes it interesting. But Katie Colburn, I think, is actually the more interesting story in that because she's well known as not only it wasn't like, you know, there was one instance of Virtue Vile who supposedly made this woman waste away and right. left her speechless. That was one incident. There there weren't a whole lot of other things that made people think that she was a witch. Whereas Katie Colburn was a well-known figure in the area, apparently, even though there's not a whole lot of historical record about her. There's enough in the zeitgeist back in the time to pass down in stories to say that she was this, you know, kind of terror on the local area. And then all of a sudden she goes missing just like that. Totally gone. Can't find her anywhere. And she probably immediately, got the heck out of Dodge. I would imagine maybe. Or she might have gone off somewhere and died in some accident or something or got, you know, I doubt she got kidnapped. But maybe there's some kind of missing Maul Dyer story there, too, where maybe they. Well, what's the time? What is the time frame there? So roughly 75 years after Virtue Vile. So we're talking like the 1760s, 18, oh. or 17, sorry, 17. Yeah, never mind then. 60s, 1770s. So it's way after Virtue Vile, but there might be, maybe there is some missing tale there where, you know, the reason she went missing was people did away with her. That maybe, could be. Maybe they just took her away and, you know, did yeah. whatever they did with her. But I didn't find any reference to that. Not even anybody trying to insinuate that that happened but yeah that would definitely add more flavor to the legend if we could find something like that but according to the record she just disappeared and that's interesting because directly after that you had the the ghost story right that's kind of tenuously linked to it just because of the timeline yeah but in Maul Dyer's case that's a whole encapsulated story by itself yeah that is interesting and dramatic and definitely reverberated through time because, oh, yeah. you know, we have that. For one thing, The Rock. I think that's interesting because that is a direct That's tie. a tangible thing that people can, you know, see right. one thing and they can feel The Rock and put, you're allowed to touch it. People have pictures with it all the time. and Yeah, you're, you can literally touch a piece of the story. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly, right. So I think that definitely creates a stronger link that we don't have in plain dealing. So I think that's yeah. the reason why it has remained a much more uh, relevant story. Yeah, probably. The other weird thing about The Rock is some people, they, the feelings they get around it. Some people say that they're, like I said, their stomach hurts, they feel uneasy. And sometimes the camera, like when you take a picture of The Rock, sometimes The Rock won't be in the picture <laughs> and or the camera will malfunction. Just small stuff like that. And one report that I read from a guy, he said that nothing happened to his camera. I took pictures of the rock. Everything was fine. But is that just people adding to the story or is it true? You know, that's because that's very well could be just people adding to the story. Oh, yeah. But I even if it is, it's it's fun. Oh, yeah. You know, it's an interesting link to the past, if nothing else. Yeah. Even if it's not the real rock, just the fact that it could be or that people think it is, is enough to keep it in the zeitgeist yeah you know yeah, this story was i wanted to do this one because it just it shocked me so much how barbaric it was unlike 
the Salem witch trials or the trials of uh, plain dealing witches and stuff like that, where it was, you know, a lot more formal for the most part. It was until, you know, the Salem witch trials till the end, but right. it was a lot more formal back then for those. And then all of a sudden this one is just like, like I said, barbaric. Yeah. They just, they want her gone. They don't want anything to do with it. They just want to end it there. So that's what really caught my attention. Yeah. Yeah, like the, you know, the Salem Witch Trials, I think if you really just read the the bald accounts of it, it reads almost like a modern day court case. I mean, they it, have it a, could the be, Crucible. Right. You re, I read it's, it in 10th grade before I even really got into Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. You know? And it's it's more, I mean, it's a it's a court case, really, yeah. with with convictions and executions, whereas Maul Dyer, Dyer is just, is it just people a, going nuts. A tragic story. Just people going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's still, to this day, people are still seeing effects from this, still seeing, reported seeing her and getting car accidents and all kinds of freakies, like the lightning strikes still happening for some reason around there, like yeah. in that general area. It's, re- it's real strange, but no, I, I, want, I really, well, uh, this story was really cool to kind of unwrap and unravel. And I still like how there's still hauntings going on still today. Like there's still a freakiness around it. And I like that a lot. Yeah. No, that definitely makes it interesting and gives you a tide of the past almost like the rock you know when you can you feel like you're living part of the legend and some people get scared like uh the thunderstorm story when the group of friends went out on a nice sunny summer day they went out in the woods and it started thunderstorming and they just they took off getting out of the woods getting out of the rain of course getting out of the thunderstorm and as soon as they broke the woods line it was sunshine again storm was gone everything you know that's bizarre fine yeah it's strange it's real strange makes you think yeah. Is there really some kind of curse there? Or is it just happenings? Yeah. Or people just making up stories? Yeah, just coincidences or is it is there something more to it? But that's the interesting part of digging into the stories. Yeah. Not much historical evidence is found on the woman called Maldire. But one thing is for sure, after that cold winter of 1697, Leonard Town would never be the same town again. This is the story of Maldire. This concludes tonight's episode of The Black Flame Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, at The Black Flame Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes, and stay spooky.